What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my host, Dan Favalli, my co-host, Dan Favalli, I should say. And this is going to be a special, unique episode for us, because for once, I am going to be on a podcast that is not mailbag-oriented. Dan, are you excited about that? This isn't a mailbag? I guess you're going to do this one on your own, then. I'll, I'll leave. I thought we were doing a mailbag. I'm just going to vamp for a, like a solid hour, apparently. This is one of those podcasts where it's like there probably are. We've reached the point in the season where there's probably other stuff to talk about, but we've done enough of the awards, particularly MVP. Uh, we've talked about buyouts. We've talked about the impact injuries are having on rosters. This is basically us saying we're like 75% of the way through the season. It's it's time to do a change of pace. It's still hard to believe this that we're that far into it. Yeah, I am too. So we're going to be talking about some rookies, and we'll we'll structure that as a 2020 NBA redraft of the lottery. This is not like a competition or anything. This is just Dan and I collaboratively working to, to try to come up with how we think the top 14 picks, irrespective of team needs, would go with every single eligible person for the 2020 draft who's back in the picture. That does mean that a standout rookie like Jay Sean Tate, who is technically undrafted in 2018, is not going to be eligible. Uh, but everyone else is. Dan, am I forgetting to clarify anything? So we uh, we have all of the parameters set properly. Yeah, just to reiterate that we're doing this still. Obviously, performance thus far factors in, but we are still trying to weigh long term potential for. You know, there are players who've been injured or just haven't played as much in this redraft. It's still, you know, since we're not that. I think when you get a certain amount of time out from a draft, a redraft basically just becomes the best players, which is fine. But now it's a little bit different because we're less than a year out from this draft class. And this is more of just like midstream. Who would we take based on what's already happened, but also trying to weigh long-term as well. And we're not, did you mention, I apologize if you didn't hear it. This has nothing to do with, you know, I don't care that the bulls have the number four pick. I'm not drafting on fit. Yeah. Irrespective of team needs. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to alternate who leads for the pick, but we do want to come to an agreement before we move on to the next one, if we're able to, and to determine who is leading the number one pick, we had friend of the podcast, Jacob Bourne, ask a random objective trivia question about the NBA. And his question was, how many combined career points do Markeith and Marcus Morris have? I guess 16,541. Dan Price's right at me and guessed 16,540. And because it's 15,546, see, you learn something on the podcast, right? Dan gets to go first. I really had no feel for where they'd be at. And so it was either do I go one above or one below? And I felt like I, either way, if you didn't, I, I, just, I strongly regret, I strongly regret, it was just regular season, but I strongly regret not sending my answer on the side to that. It's like, ultimately it's irrelevant, but I'm competitive enough that I still wanted to beat you. And I just, I, would you have been in the ballpark? I have no idea what number I would have put. I think I'm so competitive <laughs> that I tried to strategically beat you so I could get the first pick, which is kind of stupid because we're going to It was an amateur move on my part. <laughs> but, yeah, but it was also like the first pick is a little bit, having the, the floor here is a little bit worthless because I think it's a no-brainer. LaMelo Ball at number yeah, one. It's it's definitely a no-brainer. Uh, the fractured wrist sucks. 
it's cool, I guess, that the Hornets are not holding out or ruling out his return this season because they look, they're still in contention for a home court advantage in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And he, look, he's had a great season, but once he went into their starting lineup, and I'm not including the game in which he left and only played like 21 minutes because he was injured. Uh, so in the 20 starts since he entered the starting lineup, he averaged 19.8 points, 6.4 assists, 1.7 steals, shot 43.2% from three on 6.3 three-point attempts per game. I know you still have concerns about his jumper form. I'm impressed with just the way he was knocking down shots off the dribble or off the catch. And I also, you know, I'm not someone, we, everyone who listens to this podcast should know by now that I just don't sink my teeth into college stuff or prospects until right before the draft, basically. I just didn't think that he would be so sort of disruptive on the defensive end where it's, I don't know if he's a net plus at this point, but he's, he's going to be, I think probably a pretty good team defender. And I think right now, I don't know if he's going to win rookie of the year. That's a separate discussion. Did he play enough? If he doesn't play again this season, when there are other guys who are one playing well, or like Anthony Edwards, who have been surging since the all-star break, basically. But I think he's, he's the clear cut number one here. Yeah. You, Basically took all of the talking points uh, on that one, which is great because they're they're all right. I mean, but ultimately it boils down to him being just such an obvious franchise centerpiece. It's not even just what he does on the court. It's the infectious personality and the marketability and everything that he has going for him. He's a generational passer. You know, some of the stuff that he's able to do is just so remarkably advanced and you know, he'll, he'll cut back on turnovers and, and whatnot as his career progresses. And I, I do still have some concerns about the shooting form. We've talked about it in a previous episode where I think it's more that this season has sort of established a, a higher floor for me for his ceiling, but not necessarily a higher ceiling or an indication that he's going to be a super reliable, consistent shooter. Like I could definitely see up and down swings, but the baseline is, is strong enough that it doesn't need to be a huge concern. So every, every prospect in this class is ultimately a little bit flawed, but you know, like he, he's the obvious one. Yep. And do you, do you think there will be, you know, how do you, maybe you don't even know the answer to this question, but if you're hitting that high of a clip on your threes, what is the impetus for change? Is it don't, fix it until you see that it's broken or you try to make changes over the summer before your sophomore year. And I wonder how the, just his wrist injury complicates all this. I mean, we saw Alonzo consistently tweak his form too, because he had another remarkably unorthodox jumper that he had to fix and it's panned out this year. Uh, But with LaMelo, the issue is the feet, right? Like you want that consistent base and he, manages to turn counterclockwise when he shoots sometimes and clockwise other times. And just the inconsistency there makes it harder to replicate the shooting motion on every single shot. You know, you watch Steph Curry play and you know that he's always going to square to to the basket and turn in slightly as he shoots. It's replicable, it's consistent, and it makes him a a better, more reliable shooter. And I think that's what we need to see from LaMelo. I, I don't know that he needs a huge form overhaul so much as just like, working on that base um yeah I'm, t- I'm just curious to see sort of how that happens do you want to get us to number two and i'm hoping you don't take all the talking points on who i think you're because <laughs> i have some i have some fantastic numbers uh that could be construed as propaganda but i'm ready to to drop these fire stats once we you always together. you always come in with more of the stats than i do which i feel like that's a, a huge change of pace from years past uh look 
you fully nerded me out. I don't look, I don't watch games. Uh, live in I, a spreadsheet. Yeah, I just live in a spreadsheet. That's all I do. Oh, I had one of those commenters on Twitter the other day. It's so obnoxious, like that argument that's like, oh, stop working with graphs and like watch the games. Like, do you think I would want to create the graphs if I wasn't enjoying watching the games? Like, can you come up with a better talking point? I can confirm that Adam has never watched a single NBA game over the past. I've known him basically, I've known him longer than this, but since we started interacting, 2013-ish, I think it was, you've watched sub five basketball games. In yeah, I think it's like three and a half. Also, for my sake, imagine just how bad I would be if I didn't watch the games because I'm not, I'm affiliated with NBA math, but that's more so your problem because I'm just not this, <laughs> like super high IQ genius like you. So if I only use numbers, my analysis should actually be worse than it already is. Picture that. I, I can't. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, pick number two. I, it's it's got to be Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I feel like that's the obvious answer here too. I, th- right? I think there are going to be some Anthony, some Anthony Edwards pushback on this, and I say this yeah, because I when I did that. the rookie ladder at at Bleacher Report a week or two ago, there were a lot of commenters who were they focused on Ant's you know scoring per game, which is is fair, but also let's not overweight that. Uh, in the long term, you know. Well, let's save our Anthony or your Anthony Edwards takes. I'm ready for some make culpas there. Uh, it's your turn to. I've been given those out. Um, no, I like with, me with, with RJ Barrett on that front. But please continue. Every uh, time I'll I'll take that. No, um, you know, thirteen point three points, three point three rebounds, five point zero assists per game, and that doesn't even come close to capturing the impact that he's had. Um, he is a remarkably turnover averse guard, which is a, a ridiculously rare quality for a lead or a co lead ball handler. Uh, as as they're coming into the NBA and making that transition, he could stand to get to the free throw line a bit more, but his ability to thrive on and off the ball, knocking down a ton of spot up shots, um, operating in crunch time moments with no fear of the moment. Uh, he's actually looked like a semi-decent to good defender on the Sacramento Kings, which might be the top achievement by any rookie in this class. Um, he, he checks all the boxes as like that upper tier Jack of all trades, just like we thought he would going into the draft. And he he went 12th overall, but uh, we were, we were both disappointed that our, the teams we cheered for didn't take him earlier in the proceedings and thought that he should have gone way higher. And he's validated that and more to this point. He has been, if you just, I, I just feel like he's good at everything and he's probably not going to. I have no clue what his weakness is. Right. And the fact that I would go as far as saying that he's been a plus defender already, just when you look at the different types of assignments that he's... On the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> that seems unnecessarily rude, but also true because they've had one of the league's worst defenses for much of this year. But really, like his, he's not you know, taking these... He's not ta- his, his matchups are difficult. And so he's, you know, he's not spending as much time on the, on the first option as some of the other players on the team, but he's defending the secondary guys, you know, the second and, and the third options on those teams for, for sure. And he's just, I think he's going to be a really solid team defender has uh, feels like he has, or feels looks like he has really great hands. Someone who could chase around movement shooters too, but also be fine one-on-one. I remain just completely and utterly in awe of him. And he's a good look. He's a, just a good offensive game manager at this point too. And the perfect fit, I would say, alongside De- De'Aaron Fox. And the the numbers I'm referring to... He would have been a perfect fit just alongside anyone. Like, imagine I, him playing alongside Chris Paul and Devin Booker or with Trey Young. Like, 
the, the, any the of team, those options worked. The teams I keep coming back to are Phoenix taking Jalen Smith instead of him. And I know the Knicks ended up with Emmanuel quickly, who we will discuss soon. And you don't want to write off Obi Toppin already. At the same time, if I'm the Knicks, just knowing what's been my biggest need for like since Jeremy Lin left, essentially, yeah. just take the guy who's projects that I was in I was in this boat with Shea Gilgis Alexander too. Um I was also in that boat with Frank Nilakina and clearly I was one hundred percent right about him uh because he's picking up DNP. It's my cue to go now. Point. But so two things with Halliburton is the only other rookie in NBA history to match his current true shooting assist and steal percentages. I'll give you a guess. Throw out a rookie. Please don't get it right though. Get it wrong. I really appreciate it. <laughs> give me the numbers one more time. Uh, to, the only other rookie in NBA history to match his true shooting percentage, steal percentage, and assist percentage. Chris Paul. Magic Johnson. Not a bad guess. All right. Also, it's pretty decent bad. company. I would say, yeah, he was, Magic Johnson was all right, right? Like that's, he was pretty good. If, am I I've heard he was decent. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, there's only one other player in the NBA who has used at least 100, has finished, excuse me, at least 100 drives this season and is matching Halliburton's efficiency on these drives and assist percentage. That is Joe Ingles. This is just someone who is, I think that company just proves that he's fundamentally good at everything. You, you mm. sort, you know, he's gone through some swings with his shooting, but if you just go through these numbers, um, he's just super efficient off the catch, low volume on pull-ups, but he can still hit them can just really do everything. And I'm fascinated to see where his career goes. And I think, you know, we have to see what happens with Marvin Bagley once he's healthy I don't know that you can really count on him for the Kings future. I don't know how you view Rashawn Holmes when he's heading into free agency. The Kings have two really, really high-end cornerstones right now in Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. And so I am intrigued to just see where this team goes from here because people probably weren't happy that they didn't hold a fire sale, yada, yada, yada. They just, they have two primetime cornerstones on their roster right now, and that sets them up incredibly well looking ahead. And to answer your question, I am firmly in the pay Rashawn Holmes and keep him there camp. Um, yeah, they have to do some stuff. I don't want to get because of the early bird rights or just I would guess he yeah. gets more than ten point five million a year. I would keep him too. It's just how much do you give a give a big who's you know he might be the best center on the market. So we'll have to see. But that three player core right there. I mean, if you want to be good right away, you keep Harrison Barnes. I don't really know how to feel about Buddy Heald at this point, but those three together are mind bogglingly interesting. Hey, Hardwood Knox listeners, it's Dan again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our parent distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, that has included me, so apologies in advance, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks on top of all that we'll help you get your show pushed out to apple spotify google stitcher and all the other listening platforms the best part is you get all of this for only 15 dollars a month that's the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup so if you're ready to do more than just listening to hardwood knox's sub mediocre basketball takes then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. For the ones who know that a little late 
is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. So number three, you're up on that one. Yeah, I'm waiting for you, and uh, you're you're not saying anything. So I went with Anthony Edwards here at number three, and I think he had to come a long way to get to this spot for me because he was just so inefficient for the first part of the season. Uh, you look at since the the All Star break, I believe it is basically, he is averaging 24.6 points per game, 2.5 assists, 1.6 steals. Uh, still not shooting incredibly well from three, but he is taking some difficult shots. 32% there. He's getting to the line at a good at a good clip. He's, I think he's getting better on defense, even though he's taking all these chances. And I do really think that his shot selection can still be super ugly. And we're going to need to see him just get better at finishing around the rim. But he's also just, you know, he's getting to the rim relative to the rest of this rookie class. He's getting to the restricted area a ton. So I'm more intrigued on him than I was before. And I would have to imagine, you know, he leads all rookies in pull-up field goal attempts. And that 36.1 effective field goal percentage is not great. If he gets more efficient on those and we can see him be more than a coin toss finisher uh, around the basket, there's, you know, he's, he has, he still has, I wouldn't ever put him ahead of LaMelo right now. I just can't envision a scenario, but I don't think that he, that we can sit here and say, oh, he, he still can't be the best player in this draft. I mean, LaMelo is not even the best finisher right now. So if he improves one of those where it's, Hey, can we count on him to knock down his off the dribble looks at a higher clip long-term? Can he just be bet shoot better than you know he's fifty six percent in the restricted area right now? He he still has a crack at that, maybe more so than Tyrese Halliburton, where I think his ceiling is higher. I, I also just feel like he's a little bit less likely to hit it because there are there is more variance in his performance. If that makes any sense, it does. I'm I'm starting to buy into the point that I don't think I would have that much of a problem if you wanted to take him number one in a redraft. Um, and I was so skeptical of him coming into the league as you know um and it took a lot of convincing but just seeing the way that he's already grown and recognizing the sheer difficulty of the role he's attempting to fill as a rookie that's a tough job being asked to take and make so many pull-up jumpers and be such a central part of the offense especially when Carl Anthony Towns has missed so much time like he was even more of a focal point than I think anyone intended for him to be at that stage but We've already seen him, you know, he still has some finishing issues around the rim, but we see him getting to the line now. You know, he's he's actually drawing contact and getting three points at the charity stripe. He's willing to pass more. He's in the right defensive spots more. Like, it's it's clicking to the point that while I still have questions about the shot selection, the obviousness of his best attributes are now – strongly superseding that that qualm there's did you ever think you would be at this point with anthony edwards i hoped i would be but no i i don't think so did you did you consider slotting him any lower or did do you think he's like clear number three right now i thought he was the very very clear number three um i mean and and when i say that i should say i don't think i was ever going to drop him below three but i did waffle a little bit between him and Halliburton before deciding that Halliburton was just too damn good at everything already. 
Yeah, I'm. I didn't actually consider putting him ahead of Halliburton, but it's as I outlined before. I do think he's look. The, the ceiling is clearly there. Yeah, go dogs. Who do you have at? Who do we have at number four? Oh wait, we didn't. I think we disagreed here. I think we did. Yeah. So I had Emmanuel quickly here. Um, I I still have. I, I think after really after number two, every player has significant flaws in this class because this class has always been more about the number of, of role players and rotation members that it could produce once we get outside that top tier than the potential superstars. And it, it feels like we've already exhausted the potential superstars by the time we get to number four. So like, I don't love that Emmanuel quickly is a scoring guard who doesn't really attack the basket and get to the line. I don't love the vision I've seen from him as a passer. The overall shot selection is concerning He's not a great defender, but I think you just watch him operate with the ball in his hands and see how, how proficient he is at creating space, not necessarily doing anything with it yet, but just getting to spots and freeing up enough airspace that he can take a semi-uncontested jumper. That's a talent that we haven't seen from that many people in this class. And ultimately, like being able to initiate is so key in this era of offensive explosion that as tantalizing as some of the three and D or more modern all around archetype players are in this class. I want to go with that specialty skill. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you need his floaters and step back threes to fall at higher clips than they are right now. But the fact that he has both in his repertoire at the moment, I think is really important. Um, It might be better because I think we flipped, we inverted between the two of us, four and five. So Mm -hmm. maybe it might be better to do this in some, but I have Patrick Williams who is basically to me, I don't know if this is the best way to frame it, but the Tyrese Halliburton of bigs, just where it feels like he's doing everything solid at the moment. Um, pull-up volume isn't absurd, but he's still hitting uh, at a fairly high clip from inside the arc on those on those baby jumpers. I do feel like some of his offensive game can unfurl in slow motion when he's operating on the ball, but the ball skills and feel, to me, are clearly there. You can also cl- clearly move him off. And the, the thing that I just keep coming back to is he's – you know, his defensive role is already super serious. He is um, he is spending time on a ton of number one options, a ton of number two options. They've essentially decided to, from what I've watched, where it's like, we're just going to try and groom him as like the fulcrum of our defense, basically. And I think it's going to pan out when you watch him. He's gone up with some you know, seriously hard wings, and I think he's held his own uh, a lot this season. And he's also shown, like, if you want to put him on a movement guy too, away from the ball, He's kept up with them, and I'm, I don't know that I'm surprised by that, but it feels like he can be more decisive and deliberate on defense in that role than he is on offense without, with the ball in his hands. So I'm super high on Patrick Williams, and I was flabbergasted that he went at number four. Um, the Bulls are getting him again in my redraft because I, I think he's so fundamentally sound. And then I had quickly uh, at number five, and to just reiterate what you said on him, He's like the the ability to create space is there, and I'm probably a little bit higher on his passing or at least his decision making out of the pick and roll than you are. Low turnover there right now. I think he's in the 72nd percentile of points scored per possession this season. That's pretty big as a rookie, and maybe defenses will get more used to his his floater and decisions and like how he's sort of you know firing from beyond the three point line. But he's also hitting a ton of unassisted threes. Um, you know, so I I don't know that you can say he's the point guard of the future for the Knicks, but he is clearly like. I think his, if you're looking at this season, his ceiling is higher than we thought, but the floor is there as like this really, really good 
sixth man of the year where it's not just volume scoring. He's doing a whole bunch of other things as well. I think the best way to settle this, since we do ultimately want to find a consensus and we have them reversed, who do you envision quickly and Patrick Williams becoming at their peaks? Like based on what we've seen so far, which which current player would you say is like what you think they're going to develop into? Because for me, I can see quickly becoming like a CJ McCollum type of player, just like this absolute offensive dynamo who is comfortable on and off the ball. And I kind of view Patrick Williams more as like, I want to say like Pascal Siakam, where he's very obviously good in so many areas, but I'm not sure you want him as the number one on a championship caliber team that doesn't have a Kawhi Leonard-like superstar. That's an interesting question. Patrick Williams, he's the youngest guy in this class. So I just feel like there might be which I will admit I did not really consider until just now. And so that's – I don't know what the player comp would be for me, though. I know Pascal Siakam seems decent. I feel like he's going to have more defensive range when you're kind of looking at, like, the positions that he's going to be able to defend. It feels like his three-point shot, just based off what he's hitting already, is going to be a little bit more reliable, as will his pull-up. I don't know that he's ever going to become the, the facilitator. Uh, the CJ McCollum comp is probably interesting for quickly. I, you feel strongly more about this than me, so I think we have to defer to putting quickly at four and Williams at five. But I just think, given that he's the youngest in this uh, draft class, I saw him compared to like OG Ananobi too, but I didn't really like that one. That was more. Yeah, I don't like that draft. as much. I think he has more offensive upside than that. Uh, I think OG Ananobi has more offensive upside than we've even seen. But yeah, I. I think you look at his just like six foot eight, seven foot wingspan. It just feels like he plays the more desired archetype since it's clear that he can kind of be used as a wing, at least on defense. But I don't have a great player comp. Like, is this Thaddeus Young, but he can shoot threes? That's it's an interesting not, one. Yeah. That's not going to be. It's funny because he's playing with Thaddeus Young. So maybe that's where my brain is going to. So I guess let's defer. I'll give you this one quickly at four and Patrick Williams at five. It feels weird to bump him down a spot, but. It does. Yeah, I think it's more about quickly. Move. I mean, Halliburton moving up, though. That and also quickly does have the, as of right now, the more desirable skill, which is can you hit Wait. those, you know, or take those step back threes or create, generate your own yeah, shot I think a frequent clip. If I had to summarize it in like one line, it would be that quickly has the better top end skill right now. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Number six is mine i guess technically because you were number five or do you want to take or was well i think you would have technically been number five okay, since you started number six. yeah so i mean I, I think we agree with with james wiseman and he's just been tough to evaluate for me like i think it's readily apparent what he can do and what he can do well it's also readily apparent where he can improve like he does not have great hands and it shows itself pretty frequently like i, I think you chuckle there because you agree right it's like he's trying to catch a marble, basically. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not fun to watch sometimes. But I, I also think it's so tough to evaluate him right now because ideally you want to see him play a pick-and-roll game with Steph Curry. And we've seen it work in spurts, but he spent so much time on the floor with Draymond Green, who as good as he is in a lot of areas, is really starting to gum up the offense. Like if Draymond Green is on the court, 
you know that another defender is going to be compressed around the paint and make it harder for him to operate as a role man. And it's it. I don't think we've come close to seeing what his true ceiling looked like because the Warriors wouldn't have taken a player who doesn't really fit their system that high in the draft had they not been convinced that he was a game-changing force. And I just, I don't think we're seeing it yet. Yeah, I, I'm in lockstep with everything you just said. I will say, even though he's only shooting 63% from the foul line, I'm kind of higher on him long-term as a four-spacer after just watching how he's done in, uh, especially at the beginning of the season, uh, shooting from beyond the arc. The fact that the Warriors at least seem willing to run more pick and roll now, like they're they're finally saying it after their fan base was pretty vocal about, hey, this this should be. I feel like this dates back to the Kevin Durant days, where it's like, why are you only busting out the KD Stephen Curry pick and roll once every six months or whatever it was? So I feel like it took them too long to get there, but maybe for the rest of the season we'll have better context with which to evaluate him. Uh, still, I think he can be a better offensive player outside of, of the role man. He, I'm assuming his hands are going to get better. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to make passes on the move or anything, but I'm assuming his hands are going to get better. I like him. The, I, I think he's more likely to become a semi-reliable floor spacer than I had envisioned him coming in. And I don't know if he's ever We saw that pretty it. early on, too, which is encouraging. Like the yeah. very first game. And I think his first career shot was a three. It was one of his first few shots was a three. Yeah, it was a trailing three, I think. And then defensively, I feel like the mobility is there more so than I gave him credit for coming out of the draft. I don't know if the decision-making will be there long-term, or I do think if you're not... I mean, if you ideally, you want your center to be the, the anchor of your defense. I don't Maybe not ideally, but you know, I don't know if James Wiseman can be the, can he be the second-best defender on what's a top-10 defensive team in the NBA. I think he can. Seen. But the mobility is there, which I think is important, because unless you're going to play strictly dropped coverage like you're going to need him to come out and do a bunch of other things i feel like he could potentially get there and that's where i agree with you about the draymond james wiseman partnership but having draymond there you would think has to help him long term with long term for sure yeah so but i think like if, if i can steal one of your pet terms like he's the mystery box prospect now where like i thought you were gonna say optionality but i'm with it <laughs> this is for me this was the end of a tier where I'm most confident about Ball, Halliburton, and Edwards now, and I can't believe kudos to Anthony Edwards for changing my mind that quickly. Um, but I think there's a slight drop off there. But even with quickly Patrick Williams and James Wiseman, I think that any of them, like if you told me that 15 years from now they would be viewed as the best player from this class, yeah, I can see it. The upside is still clearly there. I hate using the word upside, but I think it's true in this case. And this is a bet on it because I don't, if we were just going off of this season, is James Wiseman in your top 10? Probably not. Yeah. So there's, I think the, we've at least, but we saw him play three college games. So like, and we've seen him even, what does he have for the season? Is he under sub 25? Oh, 33. I didn't see him clearly. He hasn't played 750 minutes though. Right. I mean, we still don't really know who he is, but the 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 upside is so obvious still. Right, and the fact that his pick-and-roll usage as the role man wasn't higher to this point, I'm assuming it's going to shoot up sort of moving forward based, based off what the Warriors are saying now. Uh, but you look at this guy, and he's, you know, how many of his possessions, 13.7% of his offensive possessions have come right. as the role man. That is much too low. Yeah, agreed. So number seven is me, correct? It is. 
I have, and I don't know if this surprises me or not, but I have Sadiq Bay. I, I kind of want, I think, like you said, we're entering a different tier where I think you could put these in a bunch of different orders. I, Sadiq Bay has kind of shocked me with, he's not the most efficient player right now, but he has more, he's hitting his threes at a good clip, mind you. And it looks like that ended up being a really good pickup for the, for the Pistons. 38.5% of his threes in, in their current offense is good. He has, and we haven't seen it yet necessarily as a playmaker, Maybe it gets there. He has more ball skills than I thought where you can see him. Like he's putting the ball on the floor more often than I ever would have thought. And watching him, it feels like they have someone who's going to be better than just that three and D wing archetype where I don't know that he's going to be. Maybe it's an OG Ananobi situation. I, I get that that's not the perfect comp, but maybe it's an OG Ananobi situation where no, you're not really going to trust him to be the the playmaker, but he's going to put the ball on the floor in more ways than just attacking those straight line, wide open drives. Like he might be able to navigate some traffic, get around guys. Uh, maybe you could even hope that he's going to get better at, at throwing his his kickouts on the move. Or are you going to run more pick and roll with him moving forward? There's more to explore, to plumb there than I thought. And maybe that's you know, <laughs> there's way too many problems with my draft analysis personally. But we do tend to boil down, I think, collectively these guys into oh, he's going to be a great complementary player. And that might be true. I, I just feel like there's a little bit more depth to his skill set than that. Yeah, I, I think, though, even if we just focus on the signature skill, the three-point shooting, like that's impressive enough where I have him at seven anyway. Um, because I, I still, with these role players, which is the category of players I think we're moving into here, the high upside rotation members, um, you want that one super marketable niche skill that you know you can rely on. And we already know that we can rely on his three-pointer. He's the first rookie to hit 100 threes this season, taking 5.9 per game, making 38.5% of them. And it's, that's just super important given the proliferation of three-pointers that we've seen throughout the NBA in recent seasons. Like you, you need a guy like that. And even if he did nothing else, that's that valuable. And he does do a lot else. Yeah, he does. And I I guess the one, what would you call his swing skill? And I would say it's probably hitting the jumpers off the dribble. Because Yeah, I was going to say the right same now, thing. It's even a two dribble jumper. Like just being able to pump pump fake, take a couple steps in and take a, a better shot. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know if this is the, the product of just the way the Pistons are built or if this was just, if he was going to get playing time coming in as a rookie, you know, if he was actually on Brooklyn, would he have, would he have done this? I'd be curious to see. But I think when you're the Pistons, it's definitely worth just experimenting and exploring to see if you have more than just the, you know, the three and D prototype here. And again, watching him and not all the numbers are going to align with it. I think you do. And look, he has spent just basically 90% of his time split almost evenly between guarding twos, threes, and fours. That is, yeah. that's just, that's what you want defensively from the wing. I think we're in lockstep on the next guy. I'm wondering if you, before you get into him, did you consider putting him any higher? Because I was a little bit tempted. I was a little bit tempted. We both have Devin Vassell from the San Antonio Spurs up next. Um, I, I was tempted to put him higher than uh, than Sadiq Bey because he fits that 3 and D archetype more, but I don't think he's quite as good in the three-point shooting area, and I don't think the defense is quite prominent enough to push him over the top. But still, like I feel like if there's a rookie who just hasn't been talked about in this class who should be at this stage, it's probably Devin Vassell. It seems like he's flown totally under the radar because he hasn't had that like week long peak 
like other players have had. Like it was so obvious that LaMelo Ball was taking over uh, before he got hurt. Before that, it was so clear how good Tyrese Halliburton was. And James Wiseman got the love at the start of the season. Um, and Emmanuel quickly had his surge. And Vassell has been more steady. But like in NBA maths, uh, TPA, he is among among rookies who have played 200 plus minutes. He, he only trails LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton and Emmanuel quickly in TPA. Uh, it's still a slightly negative score, but putting up minus 5.37 TPA in 649 minutes is impressive because zero isn't replacement level. It's playing like an average NBA player. So like the fact that he's filling a true three and D role for a better than expected team and playing like a league average player by that metric, that's impressive over how much time he spent on the court. The thing for me is, so the, the, I don't know. I'm surprised at how much he's defended point guards and he's done it well on the games that I've seen. And so he seems like where we look at Bay as, okay, two through four, Vassell seems more like one through three, where maybe the bigger guards and definitely the, you know, the, the small forwards, where maybe in time he could be covering more of them. Those might give him trouble. But he, he feels like the another rookie that you look at and say, oh, he's, you know, you can already kind of, not kind of, I do trust him on defense. And, you're, you know, he can be sneaky with um, his shot contest, breaking up plays from behind. Feels like he's one of those guys. I don't know how high end he'll be on this end. And you can look at, if we're trying to project, uh, I don't know how people, like there's always the, oh, he spent two years in college. There's the stigma as opposed to having the the one. But he is still only 20 years old. I don't know enough about his offense where I thought, it, it, look, it's great. He's hitting 40% of his threes. He's averaging 1.3 drives per game, which just speaks to the fact that he's not putting the ball on the floor a ton for the Spurs team. They don't need No, it's it almost purely a spot on roll. Yeah. And I think he can do more than that because I feel like we saw him uh, from the, and you know, hat tip Adam Spinella, uh, box N one, just fantastic writer. He does the he has his YouTube channel where he does a lot of the scouting reports. So I you know crash course in those leading up to the draft and looking at him, it felt like there was more ball ball skills there. I don't know that I can give him credit for that just yet. At least over Sadiq Bay, when Bay is the guy doing it at the NBA level again, not efficiently, but shouldering that higher volume role. And Vassell just simply hasn't had the chance to do that. It wouldn't. I, I did grapple. I, I did consider him putting above Bay. Is the moral of that long winded story? And and Bay is also doing what he's doing on a worse team, which I think matters. Like it's, it's not, neither of these players is currently capable of elevating a team, but Sadiq Bay is managing to expand what he's doing in a positive way and not necessarily looking overextended on the Detroit Pistons versus Devin Vassell fitting in with a contender, which is more important, but is probably not as difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I'm curious as to whether, and maybe this is just a question for later on, whether you, like, who's the swing prospect in this tier where we think they're going to be role players? Who has the the starry ceiling? I don't know that we've reached them yet. I think it's the next three. I'm, I was about to, it's because we're on this guy, which is the reason I was asking. I have at number nine, I have Kyra Lewis Jr. of the Pelicans. He was tough to play. He has played in 31 games. He just hasn't played a ton this year. The two things that, well, I guess a few things that stand out is this dude is fast. Uh, he is just a blur. And it's not like, hey, Kyra Lewis needs to get going downhill. It's, oh, Kyra Lewis is there. And, oh, no, wait, he's he's over. Like, he can just get going from from standstills. So that, that, that hyper intrigues me. I think he's going to end up being a pretty good game manager. He's... Already as a scorer, fairly efficient on the pick and roll, does not turn over the ball a ton. I don't know if he's ever going to be the guy that 
that draws fouls. Uh, he is what I also think is encouraging. Six of 17 on pull-up threes this year. That's 35.3%. So it's a super small sample size. He, I feel like he could end up being a captain for a top five offense, just looking at what he's able to to do there. And so he might be, I mean, I've already put him highest among like the the three guys that are coming up in this redraft. But I do think of the the players that we're about to to talk about where we might view, or at least the next two, they have that. If something breaks right, they'll have an all-star appearance or more. I might buy into him more than anyone else uh, who's forthcoming. And probably even more so than Vassell or Bay, just based off the type of roles that they're going to play in the NBA. I think you're right that if I had to pick anyone from the remaining portion of this class to have that best-in-class ceiling, Kyra Lewis would be my choice. But I think that his floor is also lower just because we've seen a lot of players like that where they're ridiculously fast. They're they look like they should be talented scorers. They seem to have good passing vision like the name Brandon Jennings is popping to mind here. I'm not saying that they're they're the same, but like I can see that kind of career arc for Kyra Lewis Jr. as well, even though I can also see him developing into an all star. Like that, that upside is is definitely there and it's tantalizing. I did have him at number 10 and I had uh, Denny Avia at number nine. I don't think his ceiling's as high and I don't think anyone ever thought that because his his case going into the draft was that he's this pro's pro already who can come in and make an impact and you know that he's going to be good. He's not going to be great, but you know he's going to be good. And I'm, I'm not sure that that evaluation has changed that much. I think that part of the reason he struggled is just the Wizards effect as they're trying to figure out like what direction they're going and how they're going to make this Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal backcourt work while they also deal with injuries and occasionally have to try to get him into a bigger role than he's ready for. But even, even though he's only shooting 32.6% from three-point range, which is probably the most disappointing number for him, there aren't many things that he does poorly. Like I I watch him and I see a quality defender, even on another atrocious defensive team. He knows where to go to fill lanes in transition. He knows when to cut and when to spot up. Like he, he is already that the player who I think he was billed as coming into the draft, who had that professional experience contributing on a high level competitive team in important moments. And even though he has been worse than expected to this point, hence him falling in this redraft. I still don't know that I'm any less sold that he's high enough ceiling that I still wanted him higher. He does feel like he's eventually going to be the, we've said how many times, like these sort of comprehensive guys who maybe they're not going to be star superstars, like a Tyrese Halliburton or a Patrick Williams. It feels like he could get there because I agree with everything you said. I guess I'm just reticent to believe he's going to get the role that I think he needs because I do feel like he needs to operate with the ball in his hands more and I, again I don't want to interpret his rookie season as this end-all be-all but over 81% of his shots have come off assists this year and I think that's just the effect of hey Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are on this this yep. Wizards team I do think the efficiency will climb he's already at 54.8% on two-pointers uh, he doesn't get to the foul line enough for me to read too much into him shooting 65.4%. That I think you have to believe will come up. It's I think what's going to be huge for his career, if he's going to stay in Washington, at least for the foreseeable future, is do the flashes that you're seeing off the ball, where it looks like he's in the right spots, or he can sort of duck in from the corner, like is he going to start converting on those or doing those more, doing those, uh, finishing those plays more consistently, I guess would be the be- uh, best way to put it. The one thing I would say that has shocked me uh, 
is I didn't think he was going to be this good on defense. And I don't know if I was just stereotype typing him uh, there, but he can move a lot better on the defensive end than than I thought. And so you're I don't know that he's ever going to be this you know net plus defender. I certainly don't think he's going to be making all defense teams, but he's six nine and he sort of knows how to use it, uh, particularly when he's you know <clears throat> excuse me as a, my throat is being cleared there. He, I feel like he knows how to use his size to his advantage when he is going to be uh, both on or away from the ball, and that I trust him more as a one-on-one defender than I ever thought that I would, not just as a rookie, but trying to project forward. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to defer you here, though, and we can put Kyra Lewis Jr. at number nine in our consensus redraft for two reasons. One is it would be hypocritical of me not to do that because – um, my, my buddy Shashank and I, who co-manage a, a basketball team within a, a multi-sport fantasy league, we just dropped uh, Denny Advia from our roster and we drafted him as a potential keeper. And I think that was an indication to me that like he doesn't have as high a ceiling as I originally thought, which is probably enough to drop him below Kyra Lewis Jr. here because I don't think I valued his ceiling highly enough. I Just thinking about it again, like I view Bay Vassell – Lewis and Advia and our next guy um, all in the same tier. And it's sort of this mishmash of upside and reliable floors. Um, But we're still talking about guys we probably don't expect to be all-star caliber players, in which case I think I still want to value the upside more because those high floor role players are are easier to find. I also think, maybe this is oversimplifying it, but I think he is just inherently uh Kyra Lewis that is going to inherently have more control over his whatever offense he he is mm-hmm. in long term than where Denny Avias you're probably looking at most likely in many cases I'd be shocked if he's ever just the guy that's running the offense right lock think, it in yeah so this I think we're about to this one I think is where we're we're about to divide a little bit because I know I have this next person is not who you have. Is, are we up to you or me, by the way? We're at, we're at you here with the odd number. Uh, so this is going to, this is going to be a divergence from what you have. I have Jaden McDaniels here. I am fascinated by him to no end. The things he is doing already on defense as a rookie, uh, he has defended some number one options. He has defended just all these different types of positions. Uh, his help defense is really good which I feel like around the basket, and that's just not read you necessarily see a a rookie making at this stage. Uh, he also just has, you know, let's use throw the word optionality out here. He can defend one through four, it feels like, at this point. And I have, you know, and just looking at some of his just defensive vitals, uh, he is allowing opponents to shoot 52.3% at the rim this season, which is a top 20 mark among everyone that's contested at least 100 shots. Uh, it's 82 players that have contested at least 100 shots at the basket this this season, I think is where I'm at there. Or is that number off? Oh, I'm sorry. Among 86 players who've contested more than 125 shots at the rim, he's just 17th there. And just to put his 52.3% um, percentage surrendered in perspective, Avita Zubox is right below him at 53.8, and Robin Lopez is just above him at 53.1, and so is Giannis at 53.1. That's just someone where it's like he he feels like he's more so, you know, looking at his build and then obviously his size, 6'9. He's he's kind of like a tweener big. He's more so a wing than a big, but to have someone who can do that for you uh, around the basket is just is just huge, especially in his role where I think the Wolves' biggest position of need is that front court spot next to Towns. 
they might have the answer in Jaden McDaniels. I, I, I feel like we can't discount that enough. Offensively, I think is going to be the question is where does he sort of fit in? And it's definitely encouraging that he's shooting 37.7% from three this year. I wonder, is he going to be able to do more stuff? You know, you've seen him kind of attack these open lanes and finish strong at the rim. Is that something he's going to be able to do in higher volume might be worth watching. I will say that I don't know if this is like an underrated part of of his game, but he has more assists just than I thought. I didn't think he was averaging over an assist per game. Uh, so he has 44 assists to, to 27 turnovers, which is better than I, I would have expected from him. His swing here is going to be what does he become on offense where, look, he's 54.2 true shooting right now. That is fairly substantially, how about that phrasing, below league average. And for the types of shots he's most likely going to take, you want to see him hit more than um, – or do you want to see him hit probably a little bit more than 51.4% uh, of his twos at the moment? It's because he is taking about 25% of his shots within three feet. Uh, but this just looks like someone who is going to be a glue guy long-term on, on really good teams. And we're at the point where I don't really know that we can swing on star potential here, unless you disagree. But that's why I have Jaden McDaniel so high. I'm just I'm endlessly fascinated by him. I, I get it. I don't have any arguments against it, even though I did have Jaden McDaniels in my honorable mentions just outside my lottery. Um, But I am going to swing for the stars here with Alexei Pokachevsky, where the numbers don't back that up. Like he's barely clearing 30% from the field and 20% from three point range. But then you just watch him play and you're like, I I might need to take a chance on that. Like, I'm not sure I care because this is still a true seven footer lanky as hell. Who's lofting up four threes a game and attacking the basket with these weird shot put layup attempts and passing fancy passes all over the court and playing like pretty competent defense, both around the rim and at the perimeter. Like there's enough there that numbers be damned. Like I want to take a chance on this guy. The Thunder are with you. Uh, 39.6 true They're giving him some serious run, too, which I think says something. He's had run. And it might just say that they're trying to tank, but it says something. And it's, they're like, yeah, they they started to give him serious run. But even when he was only playing in small bursts, he was not shy about firing away. I'm just concerned. Like, I refuse to believe that he's 190 pounds. Like, I just, I refuse to believe it. And so how does he do? No, he weighed in with bricks in his pants for sure. Yeah, I just want to make he was wearing cinder block shoes too. I just want to I just wanted to clarify that. I'm just curious. Look, the inefficiency doesn't bother me, but there's like a lot of turnover stuff there too with him. And that might just be It's a not pretty. It, no, it's not pretty, but if you want a big with that ball skills, I get why he's so tantalizing. It's just tough for me to envision what the best case scenario of his is because what is he on defense to you? What I have no idea. On defense? It doesn't it feel like kind of a situation where unless he's a helper that he might be better off sort of guarding like wings as opposed to bigs. Maybe I'm just over exaggerating. I, kind of, I almost feel like if he could be like a Dwight Powell, like defensive role where he's definitely better in that help role. Um, he can switch. You don't necessarily want him to, and he's <laughs> going to be exposed as the primary rim protector. Look, he did have, maybe there, maybe I'm just underrating. I have him as an honorable mention, so he's not in my top 14. Maybe I'm just, a playmaking seven footer. What is he? Is he seven? What is he? Seven one? No, he's a seven footer exactly. A playmaking seven footer, where it looks like he's a wing when he's dribbling. It 
the shots start to go, start to go down and he you know cuts down on his turnovers i i get why it's so intriguing i just i maybe i maybe i just don't i don't think there I, is a comparison is the issue like very rarely like, does a player come around where you're like i haven't seen that before yeah and uh, maybe i just don't have the foresight that you and sam presti do i think that's what it is that's people have always called me sam for that reason how do we settle this debate? That's blatantly though? false. I have no idea. I think we should probably I'll defer to you because you're I openly said that I'm I'll, not betting on I I'll I'll, I'll do this. We can make a deal. We can uh I'll I'll give you Jaden McDaniels at 11 if we can take Pokashevsky at 12. Okay. I mean, if you're going to That's fine because who I have at 12, I'd be okay bumping down. Okay. Let's do that. McDaniels at 11, Pokashevsky at 12. Who did you have at 13? We might end up having to do that again. What do you mean? Like our bargaining, because oh, I'm not sure we're going to be in luck that in, here. I thought you meant the Poku segment. and I was... <laughs> Oh, no. No, we nailed that one. So he was my 12, but he's now my 13. Desmond Bain. Uh, definitely build as a shooter, and he is certainly a shooter. He has hit his his threes at a good clip. He's also hit some, not a ton of them, but he's shown that he can hit you know some off the dribble threes. That is a, just a hugely valuable skill. We've talked about, I don't know if he falls into this category, but we've talked about how the Grizzlies have needed that like building block wing forever, probably even since before Rudy Gay was there. Uh, I don't know if he's that guy. I don't know if I view him in the same or in that vein defensively. But it does feel like he has a lot to offer on the offensive end aside from his shooting where it's, yeah, you know what? He'll be able to uh, attack some closeouts and he might be able to generate some more of his his shots from the perimeter. No, I don't think you're ever going to turn to him as anything uh, close to a, a primary ball handler. But he's all, is he also a guy who in that 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six range, is he going to make your defense? No, but is he going to hurt it? This feels like he could typify the the three and D archetype with a little bit extra to offer. I was I, I struggled with this one because I, I wanted to have Desmond Bain there. He was within my lottery, but he was at the very end of it. Um, I was totally on the Desmond Bain bandwagon going into the draft. Um, I, I thought that he should have gotten lottery consideration then. Um, I wanted to draft him for that aforementioned fantasy team then um and and he's done nothing but impress with his shot and i i i agree with you that i still think there's that 3d 3d potential there um i did have isaiah stewart penciled in at number 12 though um just because he is just this absolute bundle of energy on both ends of the floor that i think properly harnessed could be really valuable um i'm not sure that i truly buy the jumper He's made 10 of 23 threes, but he's only made 67% of his free throws, and those don't really square together um, for a raw big man. Um, but the willingness to even take them at this stage is impressive. So I, th- I think like I-, I think I'm good with Desmond Bain at 12, just because I strongly considered that. But I'm I'm really intrigued by Isaiah Stewart, and it's another one of those battle those internal battles where are we valuing the higher floor or the higher ceiling? Because I, I think that Bain definitely satisfies the higher floor and Stewart does the higher ceiling. And we've deferred to the higher ceiling in the past, but is it worth doing that here? So if you bought I'm into very scatterbrained. If you bought into Isaiah Stewart being this floor spacing five, 
long like for his career if you trusted his jumper more i'd be willing to defer i'll give you isaiah stewart at 13 uh, is joel Embiid a floor spacing pick yes but look at the volume he's been and he's also doing face-up things that isaiah stewart is not valid counter argument so i would be cool you know if you want to maybe talk about should someone else be 12 i just feel like bane is going to have i'm just looking at his jumper like that's just going to be the more desirable skill than this this firecracker who and look and isaiah stewart is you know he's been not for a rookie not too bad as a rim protector he he uh he leads all rookies in offensive rebounded rebounding percentage at 12.5 and so he's gonna get those second chance opportunities he's been mega efficient as the role guy and i would think that i don't know if, if we can guarantee it goes up but as detroit sort of improves he should have more space to sort of operate with though no so maybe even that improves i just feel like desmond bain kind of has the more desirable skill set and so i would probably defer to him at 12 i had stewart at 14 we I should say 13 i i that was my bad i said that earlier but we had pakashevsky at 12 so this is 13 yeah so if you want to go 13 14 uh because you will i did have someone else i i was actually struggling yeah, I th- let's let's run through the other options because we had desmond bain and isaiah stewart seems like the two favorites maybe but other guys that I mentioned um, and, and think are at least deserving of a shout out here. Um, I had, you know, I had to give a shout out to Grant Riller, who's killing it in the in the G League, but okay, has not, you know, not a single game not serious. this season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm contractually obligated. Um, not sure who the contract is with, but there we are. Uh, Obi Toppin, who has been disappointing, but I think there's still so much offensive upside there. Um, they have to give well, him the ball more. I think. They do. And they're just not set up to do that. Like no, on a different not... team, I think that he would be looking a lot more promising than he is right now. Um, Cole Anthony, I think another really tough role with the magic only yeah, going to get taken... tougher after their post trade deadline moves, but he's been important and has taken big shots and his playmaking looks really good. He's been, he's had to ferry just a huge shot creation burden for them this year. I'm with you there. Peyton Pritchard has been a ridiculously pesky defender, a, a good shooter, a good ball handler, just a, a nice, reliable, like high-end backup guard. Like I'm viewing him with like a Monte Morris level career. <laughs> so top five all time. Got it. Absolutely. Was that the end of your HMs? No, I'm just, you were following up on them and I was curious if you had anything to add on that one. No, I would agree with you there. He was actually of the, well, because someone, or two players are actually getting bumped for me, but he was the one that I had in my honorable mentions that was the toughest to leave off. Yeah, yeah. That was Cole Anthony for me. Um, Tyrese Maxey, just another scoring spark plug, but not as efficient or talented at creating that open space as guys like Quickly. He might end up being just a more... I might like his defense a little bit better than I like the idea of him creating his own shot at every level. But the fact that he can get and fire away from every level is important. I'm just curious to see where his efficiency lands long-term. Onyeka Okongwu, who is still tantalizing because of the idea of him, and we have not really gotten to see the full picture because of foot injuries and just struggles to work his way into the rotation for a team that wants to compete right now. And I don't even know how he looks in Atlanta moving forward because if they keep John Collins, which I would expect them to, and Clint Capella there, his minutes are going to be forever capped. You know, they don't have to play John Collins at center, but just having those two bigs in front of him are going to artificially mm-hmm. deflate his minutes. Xavier Tillman Sr., just the classic, like, 
plays like a veteran rookie who's good at everything, but not great at anything, especially good on defense. Yeah, he's surprised me this season. He would be my HMs too. I didn't really give him consideration for the top 14, though, did you? Not really. He was on the back end of it, as was my final guy on the list, which is Killian Hayes, where I just I haven't seen enough to evaluate him. I, I liked him a lot based on what I saw um, playing internationally before he got to the NBA, but he looked awful. He just couldn't generate any space. He couldn't make anything. Um, I'm sure some of that was just a slump that made him look worse than he actually is, but the idea of him is still very tantalizing. I want to give a shout-out to the only one that you miss is Jalen Smith. I'm actually just kidding. I thought that was uh, – I thought Phoenix blew it with that pick. But he did have a, in the preseason uh, – one of the co-hosts of the Timeline podcast sent me a clip of him like doing the spin move off the dribble and he finished at the rim. So clearly his ceiling is higher than that of DeAndre Ayton. I don't mean to crap all over him. I'm just still – if the Knicks if the Knicks weren't going to draft Tyrese Halliburton, Phoenix was just the spot. I know you say anywhere was just the spot, but learning under Chris Paul and Devin Booker, my God. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, but the so, one that you left off that I actually had, and he was in my top 14 originally, I really like Isaac Okoro. I'm not sure what he is on offense. I get the concerns you brought up pre-podcast, which I'm sure we'll get into here. My one pushback would be, while we don't know what he is offensively, and I do think that Cleveland probably hasn't simplified his role enough just yet, he has more ball skills and just better vision than, uh, I think you were talking about Matisse Thybul before we had started. And he's already just, you know, a defensive monster, kind of. I'm not saying he's a defensive player of the year candidate, but he's given them an actual point of attack defender who is really going to compete. And he's defending primary ball handlers. He's he's going after shot creators a ton. We've seen him kind of, you know, float off the ball as well and, and chase around guys who are going to be pinballing around the half court too. I This is someone I think has an all-defensive ceiling with – tools to actually use on offense i don't i think a big part of it's going to be can he hit standstill threes at a decent clip but the other probably if you surround him with enough spacing is this someone who can actually attack himself i don't want that to be the primal part of his game but i am i think it probably comes down to how deep do you think his offensive toolbox can be and i i would say that he's more than just a niche guy who can't have the ball in his hands and like tybal is going to fire up the occasional three I struggled with this one. Um, I originally wrote him down in my honorable mentions and then cut his name just because that list was getting too long and immediately felt bad about it. Because like you said, like he really is that good on defense. I think he's one of the primary reasons that they got off to such a hot start. Like We, we wanted to give so much credit to that Sexland backcourt, but he was really impactful too because by taking on tough assignments right from the start, he made things way easier on them and allowed them to grow. Um, that was definitely like this, this synergistic relationship that I don't think we fully recognized at the time, but I, I am just, I'm too concerned about the offensive black holeness. Um, I, I see what you're saying about the ball skills. Other players have developed three pointers, but he's just been such a glaring negative on that end of the floor that I don't think I can envision him having a high enough ceiling to work his way into the lottery. Um, in, in, in this redraft, to be clear, um, five years ago, sure. Ten years ago, certainly. But I think like, we've already seen the game evolve so much just with the spread of three-pointers. And, you know, we're, we're currently in the middle of a weird season where, like, four of the top five offensive ratings in NBA history are coming from this season. 
And part of that, I'm sure, is just the lack of offense and offense being or the lack of offseason and offense being the easier thing to just kind of make up on the fly rather than an established and disciplined defensive system. But we've also seen this in previous recent seasons where the top offenses are getting better and everyone's following suit and the league average offensive rating is rising. And I just I'm not sure you can play that much of an offensive liability on a good team. If his defense is going to end up, if he's like this legitimate just point of attack defender. What, so what happens to Tony Allen in 2021? You think, I mean, Tony Allen was. He was, he was absolutely good enough to play. Like 100% would be in, in the starting lineup of a quality team. But is he, is Isaac Okoro going to be Tony Allen? Because even that version of Tony Allen in today's NBA, when you're just not even remotely worried about him making a three-pointer and you can sag off him to the point that you clog up everything. I just, you're low, low on his offense then. Yeah, that's wow. the issue. I, I guess time will tell on that one. Were there any players, because I have a few, I didn't consider them for honorable mentions, but there are a few players that I'm just interested to see get more opportunities. I don't know if they'll ever work themselves into that conversation, but just a few other guys that you looked at and were like, they haven't played enough. I wouldn't put them in this conversation, probably even if they did, but whose careers you're just super in, intrigued by moving forward. Yeah, Grant Riller. Um, <laughs> Zeke Nagy is one. RJ Hampton is one. Um, I want to see more from Vernon Carey. Yes, he um, was the, I Malachi Hampton. Flynn. Yeah, look... Uh, I loved Robert Woodard's game and he has played a grand total of 26 minutes so far. Yeah. RJ Hampton. I'm excited to see he's only played two games in Orlando so far. I'm very excited to see him get more run there. You mentioned Vernon Carey Jr. has torn up the G league for much of this year. And I wonder if he's going to be in play as just one of the two primary bigs in Charlotte next season, because every, I think all their centers are basically free agents and I guess they'll probably resign Cody Zeller, but are they going to pay one? And if they don't, Vernon Carey Jr. should get run. Um, Teo Maladon. Paul Reed. There are a lot of names. Uh, Teo Maladon, too. Just someone who's not shy on offense and might be able to run a, a competent second unit. And I think if I had to pick like the one that I'm most intrigued by is Malachi Flynn. If you were going to talk about someone you want as an heir apparent to Kyle Lowry or even Fred Van Fleet, he's clearly not as like burly or just like strong as those two, but he competes on defense and it feels like he can just adopt their personality there. And so if he ever gets, you know, maybe we'll see it this season because who knows what's going to happen with uh, the Raptors this year. Uh, I still think they're a really good team. It's just the circumstances have brutalized them more than most, but Malachi Flynn. And I'm also a sucker for guys that come out of San Diego state at this point. So. Fair. That's totally valid, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, I think we should finalize the last two spots, recap the order and then wrap up because we're, going fairly long for rookies here as we are wont to do. I will just quickly mention Saban Lee who can really get into the heart of defenses more than I thought. Not efficient there though. Both Cassius's right, too. Winston and Stanley. Want to see more of them. All right. So do you want to take us through the order that we had? Well, what do we want to do at 13 and 14? Do we want to go with Bain and Stewart? I think that's, or, I think that's the right call. I don't know that I feel, I mean, you laid out a very, you were at least impassioned case for Okoro. I feel like it's a little, way off but i had bain ahead of him and stewart was right behind him for me so i'm fine leaving him out i feel like that, that might that. be the concession if you give me desmond bain let's do that so then to recap the order um that means that going first overall 
in a total shock, we had LaMelo Ball, followed by Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards, Emmanuel Quickly at number four, Patrick Williams at number five, James Wiseman at number six, Sadiq Bey at seven, Devin Vassell at eight, Kyra Lewis Jr. at nine, Denny Advia at 10, Jaden McDaniels at 11, Alexei Pakashevsky at 12, Desmond Bain at 13, and Isaiah Stewart at 14. Yeah, I... Let's let's see what the listeners think. Hopefully, we didn't box this one too badly. It got it was wicked hard after the. It was so tough. But with that, I think that's all we have to offer. Everyone, please, please, pretty please, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, whether you use it or not. Search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five star rating and write a review where you can criticize us. Throw us the five star rating. Still, make sure you're also subscribed and downloading every episode wherever you actually consume your podcast. That helps us out a ton follow us on twitter at hardwood knox follow us on youtube go to youtube.com search hardwood knox we will come up subscribe to our channel make sure you're following the the sports math network at the underscore sports underscore math i think that's correct you're looking at me i should have double checked that i can't the underscores <laughs> in that in that twitter i didn't realize you wanted me to weigh in but you are correct Yes, at the underscore sports underscore math. Until next time, we leave you with a shout out to the one, the only. I'm doing this for Adam and only Adam because he is yet to play in an NBA game. But superstar prospect, Grand Roller. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.